Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 57. I'm Jim Cornell and this is the weekly La Biotech podcast and we're already in August. Kind of the quiet time when it comes to news in Europe mostly. And when you're dealing with companies from around the world, there's not really any such thing as a downtime. When you're at newspapers and magazines, August is typically a quiet period where you use articles you'd never even consider for the rest of the year. So I guess if you want your news to have not much competition, August is a good time to send it out. The only drawback is no one might read it. I've been doing a little more reading than usual because it's been so wet and not really conducive to going out for hikes. I've also been enjoying a little bit of the Women's World Cup, where it doesn't seem like there's a clear favourite. Today is August the 4th, so it's a holiday in the Cook Islands and in Ghana, and it's also Chocolate Chip Cookie Day. I tried to find something science-related, but the best I could do was August the 4th is apparently the day that champagne was invented. We're now into all of the August awareness days and weeks and month, and needless to say, because it's a quiet time for news with lots of people on holiday, it's also quiet on that list as well. On today's podcast, we're getting nostalgic because we're clinging on a little bit to July. We had planned to do a podcast on Group B Strep Awareness Month, which is in July, but we just weren't able to coordinate times to get the interview done. So it's probably okay to just be a few days late. And to talk about Group B Strep, we have a conversation with Per Fisher, who is the CEO of Minervax. And that brings us to the articles you may have missed and therefore need to check out over at labiotech.eu. Biogen is acquiring Riata Pharmaceuticals for $7.3 billion, slightly more than my bank account. There's an article on the best biotech books of all time, and there are 46 of them in the list, ranging from fiction to non-fiction. As it's the beginning of the month, that means a look at the top biotech investment deals for the month of July, and there's also an in-depth article on how artificial intelligence is rising to the challenge in breast cancer diagnosis. So please do head on over to labiotech.eu for all the latest in-depth articles. And so that brings us to Group B Strep Awareness. Now, most people, when you say strep, think of strep throat. But Group B Strep is not that. Hence the need for an awareness month, I guess. To tell us all about Group B Strep and what's being done to tackle it, it made sense to talk to the Danish biotech company Minervax, which is developing a novel prophylactic vaccine against Group B Streptococcus. And indeed, the vaccine has been given fast-track regulatory status by the FDA. We'll hear all about the vaccine later, but first we should set the scene about Strep from Minervax CEO Per Fischer. I think, first of all, I mean, uh, it's important to make the distinction between what kind of strep that we're talking about. And you just mentioned strep uh, as, a, as a broad definition, but we have uh, group A strep and group B strep, which are very different. Uh, group A strep is the bacteria that normally causes sore throat, etc. So we're all very familiar with that. I think group B strep is something that people are not terribly aware of, even though I guess we should be because we have all carried it for a 
greater part of our lifetime. It's a bacteria that resides mainly in the gut, in the intestinal tract. It's a bacterium that is endemic and all around. It's in a, a lot of uh, animal species. It's in fish, it's in dog, it's in uh, all sorts of different species. And so we get exposed to this bacteria from the environment. We get exposed to it from food sources. And so the bacteria really colonizes the gut, not as a constant member of the microbiome, but colonizations sort of tend to come and go uh, in most people. So you can be colonized uh, with group B strep for for a month, and then it goes away, and then it may come back again in another month. Uh, or you could be colonized for a full year with the same strain. So it really varies from individual to individual. And we're not aware about it because these colonizations are normally asymptomatic and there's not been any benefits associated with carrying group B strep. It's just there. So it's something that we live with normally without having any problems with. But the bacteria comes in various subforms or serotypes as they are called uh, and they are classified depending on on various uh, surface expression of, of components on the outside of the bacteria. And for one of these uh, serotypes, there are 10 different forms. And, and for others, if, if you use uh, the distinction based on some proteins that are found on the surface of the bacteria, there is more like six different forms. So depending on the different expressions of, of uh, surface components, there are different forms of the bacteria that come and go in the gut. These, as I said, these bacteria don't normally cause any problems or as a consequence of this colonization, which we've had for throughout our lifetime, most people tend to develop some kind of protective immunity against the bacteria. So there's an interchange between the colonization and then some subclinical uh, events occurring where the bacteria may penetrate the body and then cause the generation of an immune response. So, so it's really this interchange of us carrying the bacteria without it causing problems. And also because we do tend to generate a protective immune response against the bacteria as a consequence of carriage. So it's, it's a bacteria we carry and, and doesn't cause a lot of problems in, in normal circumstances. But there are a number of populations that are increased risk of infections if the individual carries the bacteria. These uh, two populations are in particularly pregnant women and older adults. The pregnant women and women in general, as a consequence of carrying the bacteria in the gut, tend to carry it also in the vagina and even in the uterus. And the bacteria can cause problems in pregnancy. And the problems occur when the bacteria gets in contact with the unborn baby in the pregnant woman. So the bacteria in the vagina can actually migrate up uh, through the cervix and colonize the coronary membranes and infect the baby in utero. Uh, and that can lead to adverse pregnancy outcomes. So it can lead to a stillbirth. It can lead to a preterm delivery. And it can lead to the baby being born with a very serious infection at the time of delivery. So pregnant women and not least the unborn child uh, are a population that is is at risk. And also the baby is at risk for the first three months of life uh, after delivery. Uh, and that is due to the fact that babies, after they're born, go through a period whereby they are protected by the mother's immune response because the mother tend to protect the babies by transferring 
antibodies that the mother carry themselves to the baby. So the baby is protected for the first three months of life until the baby's immune system are capable of protecting it uh, itself uh, by generating a novel immune response uh, due to exposure to various pathogens. So, so there's kind of a window of vulnerability in newborn babies for the first three months of life where they're solely dependent on antibodies from the mother to be protected. Unborn babies are at risk for group B strep infections and, and then they're at risk for the first three months of life. And then there's growing uh, incidence now of disease in older adults where particularly obese diabetics, for example, get uh, foot ulcers and others that become infected with these bacteria that are present in the environment. And this can lead to severe sepsis infections in the older adults uh, who get hospitalized and may at a high frequency end up in intensive care. And there's actually quite a high mortality from these infections. You can also have the bacteria, because it's there, get into uh, operation wounds and uh, hip replacements. It can, from, from urinary tract infections, become septic as well. So there are some growing incidents now of problems also in older adults. And the incidence in the older adults is now approaching that uh, in the newborn babies. So it's something that people are keeping an eye out for. So that's really sort of the background uh, for the bacteria itself. The incidence of disease is relatively low, and it depends on which region of the world you talk about in terms of the uh, newborn babies being affected by this infection. In high-income countries with a better healthcare system, it tends to be about 0.5 in a 1,000 uh, newborn babies, so one in 2,000 babies that are become infected with group B strep, uh, which doesn't sound like an awful lot, but these infections are very serious. It leads to intensive care unit admission and, and they carry some not insignificant percentage of mortality rate. And these babies become very sick and, and require a lot of hospitalization, a lot of care to get through. And also quite a significant number of babies suffer long-term sequelae. So they have problems uh, with hearing loss and, and developmental damage uh, going forward as a consequence of these infections. So it's actually very serious. And, and the reason for the low incidence of disease is likely due to the fact that we have been exposed to these bacteria for a lifetime. And, and, and as I said before, most people tend to have some kind of protective immunity. So most people are protected against these infections, but there seem to be a subset of individuals that are not capable in their own right or as a consequence of this colonization to be uh, able to generate a protective immune response and hence are the babies and the individuals that are then at risk of invasive disease with this bacteria. The instance in older adults is now approaching the same levels uh, as in the newborn babies. In other parts of the world, in, in more low-income countries, uh, the incidents tend to go up. In certain areas of the world, especially sub-Saharan Africa, and where the incidence uh, may approach uh, two in a thousand, so, so four times that of the high-income countries. The fact that it's relatively rare uh, hasn't deterred the fact that the health organizations have actually instigated quite a lot of protective measures now to try and prevent these infections. And already back in year 2000, the CDC implemented a universal screening procedure in the US whereby all pregnant women are screened for colonization with group B strep late in pregnancy. So in week 35 to 37, they're screened for colonization in the rectum and vagina. And if they're positive, then they're given prophylactic antibiotics during delivery. So that means that about 20% 
of us carry the bacteria at any one given time. So that means that 20% will come out positive in the screening and 20% will then get prophylactic antibiotics uh, during delivery. So these antibiotics have proved quite successful in reducing the incidence of disease. It's brought it down by about 80% of the infections that occur right around childbirth. So that's been quite a successful prophylactic strategy with these antibiotics uh, in the US. And this uh, screening procedure has sort of been adopted in various ways around the world uh, in Europe. There are different ways of doing this. Some countries have adopted the universal screening. Other use more like a risk-based assessment, having set up a number of criteria that they ask the women questions about. And then if that come out as if they would be at risk of carrying group B strep, then they're given prophylactic antibiotics, even without screening. And other countries are now starting to implement really bedside testing at the time of delivery. And if they're positive at the time of delivery, then they're given prophylactic antibiotics. Uh, so there's various means of, of prophylaxis uh, around the world. And in low-income countries, many countries don't use the screening and don't use the antibiotics, which is probably why the incidence of disease is higher. This antibiotic therapy has been, uh, prophylaxis has really been quite instrumental in reducing the disease that occur right around childbirth. But the baby can also become affected after childbirth, so for the first three months of life. And, and these antibiotics that are given at birth are no longer effective after birth. So the antibiotic therapy has not had any impact on the incidence of what we call the late onset disease that occurs from, after, from one week after birth until three months after birth. So that has really remained constant. So it's only the early onset disease that occurs around labor that has been reduced by this. Also, the antibiotics are not given during pregnancy uh, itself. So, so obviously, it has also had no impact on the adverse pregnancy outcomes, so the preterm delivery or the stillbirth that are induced by group B strep. So, so it's really been successful at a subset of the disease that are caused by the bacteria, but the, the rest of it remains uh, unaffected. So there's actually quite a significant unmet medical need in preventing group B strep infection in newborn babies uh, also now, despite this prophylactic therapy that are being used. The other concern is that if you give prophylactic antibiotics to 20% of, of birthing women, you actually you know, put quite a significant selection pressure for the development of antimicrobial resistance in, in a number of bacteria that resides in the, in the vaginal microbiome. Uh, and, and we know that in countries that use IAP, there's actually been upwards of, of 40 to 60% uh, antimicrobial resistance for some specific uh, anti antibiotics. And these are specifically antibiotics that are used in, in women that are resistant or allergic to penicillin, so you can't use penicillin. The bacteria remains largely receptive to penicillin, but there has now been a number of reports coming along on penicillin resistance as well in group B stripes. So it's something that is a, a threat if, if because 90% of women get penicillin as prophylactic antibiotics. And if that uh, resistance really emerged, then this prophylactic uh, measure will be obsolete uh, and can't be used going forward. So, so it's something that people are watching for. So far, it's not a huge problem, but but it's certainly it's it's being driven both by by the administration of of antibiotics to pregnant women, but not least also 
uh, administration of broad spectrum antibiotics to in the, in the veterinary setting, uh, given that these bacteria, I mean, the bacteria is called Agalactia and was first identified in cows. It's a bacteria that resides in the udder of the cows and reduces milk production. As a consequence of that, the veterinary setting uses a lot of um, uh, antibiotics too, and, and that also drives antimicrobial resistance. And we know that there's an interchange of, of bacterial strains from cows to cow herders, for example. So we know that this is an ecosystem for the bacteria that doesn't just reside in the human. That's why the veterinary antimicrobials uh, can also drive resistance uh, emerging in, in humans. The last concern that is now starting to emerge is, is that there's a lot of research over the last years that have gone into studying the impact of these bacteria that resides in the gut and the vagina and, and the positive benefits of these, uh, these bacteria. And it's important to note that the newborn babies get about 80% of that bacterial microbiome that they carry in the gut after birth, they get from the vagina. So if you start to use prophylactic antibiotics for four hours during delivery, you kill off these bacteria. So the baby won't get that protective microbiome from the mother. And, and there's growing evidence that this may have impacts on allergies and, and asthma and uh, weight, etc. So this is a field that is now emerging. And there's actually quite a number of, of microbiologists that are raising a flag to say, well, maybe we should be careful about using all these uh, antibiotics in these birthing women, because it does actually negatively impact the microbiome of the babies. And we don't fully understand what that could lead to going forward. Uh, I guess we'll know in the coming years, but it's something which is is being flagged as a concern. There's an international group B strep awareness month. Are awareness months for things like group B strep important? Well, I think any any uh, alerts and any awareness you can create about this, I think, is important. I think uh, it's certainly important because the these infections in babies are really serious and 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 you know obviously these organizations that drive these awareness groups are instigated by people that have suffered themselves from from group B strep and are very acutely aware that that uh, having awareness about this and and making sure that you do anything you can to prevent the bacteria infection from from emerging is is important. So so I, I guess you can always argue what difference does it make, but I think the more people we can make aware of this bacteria, the better we do in terms of preventing it and and putting it on the agenda. So it, it's several things, right? It's it's like both for individuals to be able to be aware about the bacteria, to look out for signs of infection, to make sure they get the prophylactic therapies, et cetera. That's one thing, but it's also driving public opinion and pressure to do something about it in the healthcare system to to improve prophylactic care about the group B strep. And in terms of future treatments, can you tell me what your company's doing in this space? Obviously, the antibiotics have proved quite successful over the last 20 years in reducing the early onset disease that occur around child, childbirth. Uh, but, but as I also outlined, there's still a significant augmented medical need in preventing the late onset disease and the adverse pregnancy outcomes, and also eventually, hopefully, getting rid of the antibiotics because of the other concerns I raised. So how do you do that? And the best chance we have of doing something about it is by using a vaccine which targets group B strep. 
you can't really vaccinate the unborn baby, you know, unborn child, and you can't vaccinate the baby just at at delivery, uh, simply because it takes uh, too long for the baby to to mount a, a, a protective immune response for the baby to be protected right after birth. So the way that you are doing that is is really exploiting the same system that the mother is doing anyway is transferring antibodies from the mother to the baby and then endowing the baby with their existing immune system from the mother. So so all the agents that the mother has antibodies against, these antibodies will be transferred to the baby, and they will persist in the baby for the first three months of life. So what we can do is to exploit the same system by not just relying on the natural antibodies that the mother may or may not have generated against group B strep, but actually boosting this level of antibodies by giving the mother a vaccine during pregnancy that really helps the mother to develop high levels of protective antibodies in the serum of the mother, which then gets transferred to the baby and then allows for the baby to be protected whilst it's still in the mother. So protecting against adverse pregnancy outcomes, but also persisting in the baby for the first three months of life, which would also protect against the late onset disease. We're kind of exploiting the system that already exists, that the way that the mother already protects the infant against a lot of pathogens. And we are really simply boosting an immune response that already exists. So it's not as if we are inducing a novel type of antibody that that the body hasn't seen before, because most individuals have these kinds of antibodies prior to the vaccination, but they just don't have them in sufficiently high levels because the way the human immune system is that you tend to induce high levels of antibodies when you are exposed to the bacteria, but then the immune system sort of has a memory that allows the immune response to then react quickly if you get infected some other time. The problem about that is that then the antibodies tend to drop down to a low level because you're relying on this memory in the immune system, but the memory is not transferred to the baby. So what is transferred to the baby are the antibodies that are present while the baby is in the womb. So what you need to do is you really need to activate that memory or induce an, an, a new immune response in those individuals that don't have the memory so that they get high antibodies during pregnancy that they can transfer to the baby. So that's why it's kind of not enough to just vaccinate everybody in childhood or vaccinate everybody pre-pregnancy because you really need these high antibodies during pregnancy for the baby to become protected. So you need to vaccinate during pregnancy. And, and this is... So, so obviously, uh, people have kind of been worried uh, about vaccinating pregnant women. You don't really want to mess with a pregnant woman in that sense and, and run any risk to the babies. But over the years now, the last 10 years, there's been an increasing number of vaccines that have made their way into pregnant women. Initially, the, the flu vaccines are given to, to pregnant women and, and uh, also the pertussis vaccines that are given uh, to pregnant women universally around the world at, at varying degrees of uptake, anywhere from 60 to 80, 90 percent around the world of pregnant women are getting these kinds of vaccines today. So vaccinating pregnant women is becoming much more standard of care against the number of pathogens. And, and uh, this is now a growing field within vaccination is that you can actually target certain bacteria in the newborn babies by vaccinating pregnant women. Uh, so we see now respiratory virus vaccines emerging in pregnant women, uh, 
Pfizer has a program that is coming up shortly for approval and COVID vaccines made their way into pregnant women, both uh, for protecting uh, the, the mother, but I guess also protecting the infants uh, after birth. So we're seeing more and more of these vaccines coming into pregnant women. And, you know, there's a long-standing history now of safety of vaccinating pregnant women that this doesn't seem to have a great concern for the baby or for the mother. So this is what we are using. So, so we are trying to develop a group B strep vaccine for the pregnant woman that will protect the mother while they're pregnant, but also protect the newborn baby after birth. Where are you at with your work? We are just uh, short of reading out from our intermediate phase two clinical trials. So we've tested the vaccine in three clinical trials in healthy adult women, and we've now run two phase two studies which have been run in uh, in pregnant women across Africa and Europe. We have dosed more than 800 individuals with our vaccine. Of those, 470 have been pregnant women. We now have seen that the vaccine is, is really safe. There's been no safety concerns raised. You just tend to get these traditional, you know, injection side reactions that you get uh, from vaccines, which is really, see, it's, it's, it can be a little bit annoying when you have a sore arm, but it's actually should be seen as a positive thing because it just shows you that the vaccine is working and inducing an immune response. So those are mostly the adverse uh, outcomes we see from the vaccine. When we measure the outcome of the vaccination, we see that the vaccine is capable of really generating high levels of protective antibodies. We can measure the level of the antibodies. We can measure the ability of these antibodies to kill the bacteria. We can see that they come up high, both in the vaccinated individuals, so the mothers, but also gets transferred to the baby and persists in the baby for a time that should allow for protection for the first three months of life. So we are actually quite encouraged by the data that we've seen up to now. So, so we have these two phase two studies that are reading out over the coming months. And then we are planning to move into the definitive phase three studies to advance this vaccine towards licensure. Is it something that other companies are also tackling in either with vaccines or in other ways? Yeah, we, we have uh, one competitor out there, which is Pfizer. They are at sort of similar levels and stage as we are with the vaccine. They use a slightly different modality than we do. But, but what both of us employ is that we take components that exist on the surface of the bacteria and then use it in the vaccine to generate protective antibodies that target these different components on the surface of the bacteria. And both these types of approaches have merits. And, and I think for us, it's really good to have a large pharma company like Pfizer moving ahead also in this field. It helps validate the field. It helps validate the need for this vaccine. In addition to the vaccine being called for by a lot of public health organizations, it's been called for now for a number of years for the WHO. And the WHO has put together a task force on, on group B strep vaccines. We know the CDC is calling for a vaccine. Public Health England is calling for a vaccine. So it's really... Uh, companies now trying to deliver a vaccine for a medical need. So it's not us trying to invent a disease because we want to create a market. It's really, you know, responding to a request to develop a vaccine for a medical need. Is it something that's cost effective when you consider that this is a global issue? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's been quite a number of uh, pharmacoeconomic uh, studies done, uh, both for, for low-income countries and for high-income countries. They've all come out positive in favor of developing a vaccine. 
you can argue, well, you you got to vaccinate everyone, but you only want to you should only prevent one in a thousand babies from becoming sick. Is that really cost effective? Well, it turns out that it is because these infections that occur are extraordinarily expensive, and if you have ten percent of babies developing sequelae and long-term uh, adverse outcomes uh, that affect their life going forward. It turns out that it actually is cost-effective going forward. And, and you can argue that in high-income countries, you're already using the uh, interpartum uh, antibody prophylaxis. So what you're really addressing there are the adverse pregnancy outcomes of late-onset disease, but that in its own right uh, is very important. And and if you can if you can have a vaccine that, that may reduce, let's just assume, 10% of preterm deliveries or get rid of 10% of preterm deliveries. That's also a very cost-effective use of that vaccine. And in low-income countries where there's no prophylactic measures in place today, then you'll save an awful lot of lives too. What do you think that the future looks like for treating group B strep? Is it something that you can see being completely eradicated or kept under control or... I think we'll never eradicate it because I don't think the vaccines are going to have a sterilizing immunity. I don't think we're going to get rid of the the bacteria that colonize the gut because they're simply all around and we only vaccinate the pregnant women so and, and eventually hopefully the older adults, but we don't vaccinate men or non-pregnant women or infants, uh, whatever. So so there's still a big reservoir for the bacteria to reside in. So so we won't get rid of the colonization, but what we what we hopefully will do is that we'll generate protective immunity in the vaccinated subjects so that they are capable of of protecting themselves against the odd chance that the bacteria makes it the way into the body and causes an infection if you are exposed to it. I mean, I think the outlook is is very positive. I think uh, in combination of the antibiotics that are currently used and the vaccines that are underway, I think we can actually reduce very significantly the burden of group B strep disease in newborn babies and also older adults. There'll always be people, as we know, there's a lot of anti-vaxxers out there. There'll always always be people that won't take the vaccine, but then we have the antibiotics. So there is a good chance that we can we can reduce the burden of disease quite significantly with these measures. What kind of timescale are you looking at for this to be rolled up? I think current projections for the two vaccines are that they might hit the market in 28, 27, 28, depending on, on, on how speedy we can get the phase three trials done. It's not tomorrow and not the year after, but but it will be, you know, by the end of this uh decade we will be able to see sort of universal rollout of these vaccines so another in-depth interview this time on group b strep and let's hope that's potentially good news for tackling infections and that brings us to the end of this week's episode next week we will be taking a look at peptines what are peptines, I hear at least someone out there ask, and in typical cliffhanger fashion, you'll have to wait until next week's podcast to find out. Or you can just use Google. I really need to get in training for the sponsored walk that I'm doing in a couple of weeks' time, so in spite of the rain, I think I'll have to head out and clock up a few miles, or even a few kilometres. I remember I was once told that if you get up each morning and walk 10 miles... After a week, you'll probably be in the next county. So I hope you enjoyed this week's subject and that wherever in the world you are, that you have a great week ahead and you'll join us next time for another Beyond Biotech. <music>